0: Listening to The Purple Stethoscope, I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. We used to talk and laugh all night, y'all. What happened to those days? Did coronavirus and the pandemic and the quarantine take it away? Oh my goodness, I'm not even going to start off this episode with where I've been. Y'all know what I do. I am a nurse practitioner, and this has been such uh, an incredible time in medicine for so many different reasons. Um, I'm coming off of a two-week work stretch um, and just really trying to take care of myself in my off time, thinking about you, even though I have been away So I pray you'll forgive me and I wanna jump back in because one of the things that has been really incredible um, during this pandemic is the way we deliver healthcare services. Back before coronavirus, long, long ago, if you can remember that far back, if you needed to see your primary care provider, you had to call, make an appointment. Their next available might be two or three weeks away. By then your ailment might have already resolved on its own. You'd have to take time off work, drive to the clinic, sit in a waiting room full of a bunch of other folks with God knows what, finally get roomed and vitaled, and your provider would come in for a whole, what, 10 minutes, 15 if you're lucky? That was the model that we were all working off of prior to the pandemic. And one of the things that we recognized right away is that that model was no longer sustainable. With folks that are older in age or have a lot of other chronic diseases being at higher risk for an unfavorable outcome should they contract SARS-CoV-2, we didn't want to just be bringing people in for routine checkups and and for anything really that we could manage remotely. Telemedicine is not new. It's not um, a new concept. We've been delivering this kind of care in quite a few different ways. If you know somebody who has a pacemaker, um, they may be delivering information through uh, a monitor, a box in their bedroom. Uh, that sends it into the clinic and it gets reviewed by a clinician who may call them if there's adjustments or changes to be made and and may not call them. Just schedule them for the next routine, uh, remote check. Other ways that we have used telemedicine in the past is uh, calling into nurse lines If you've ever had a a sick child after hours and didn't want to take them to the emergency department, you may have called the nurse phone line or the number on the back of your insurance card where you talked with a nurse and got recommendations whether you needed to take your child in right away or whether you could follow up the following day or the following week. So telemedicine's not new at all. Um, But there's really been a boom in the demand for it because, understandably so, people don't want to leave their homes. And when they do leave their homes, the last place they want to come is to a hospital or medical center. And rightfully so. The beautiful thing that has come out of all this is it has forced some of our healthcare systems to utilize this tool that's kind of been sitting around or used in really um, basic ways, we got to a point where 90% of the visits in our practice were being conducted via telemedicine. That is amazing. If you're an environmentalist, think of how many cars went off on the road. Um, If you're somebody who works full-time and has difficulty getting time off, I've seen patients on their lunch break while they're sitting in their car. It's really been a wonderful way to expand the delivery of healthcare. So I wanted to um, make a podcast episode all about telemedicine, what it's good for, what it's not good for, how you can access it yourself. Um and things of that nature. Because let's be real, nobody can really say how long we're going to be in this situation. Um, Hopefully, we'll turn a corner soon and and be able to get back to some things um, that we enjoyed previously. But We've learned some things. We don't have to go backwards on some things. And I I personally think telemedicine is one of those things that we need to make use of moving forward, not just let it be a COVID-19 pandemic thing. But, you know, you think of low-income or underserved um, folks, and and a lot of folks, these folks are also essential workers, right? They can't always take the time off and come in. And so what happens? Screening tests don't get done. Care gets delivered later when symptoms become unbearable. There's a lot of undesirable outcomes for that kind of a thing. So telemedicine really shouldn't be something that we just tuck back under the rug when the pandemic is resolved. Is it a pandemic anymore? Is it an epidemic now? I'll have to look into that. Sorry. Just just thinking, thinking in my head. I'm so used to saying pandemic, but it seems like things are getting better um, in other parts of the world. So telemedicine can be synchronous or asynchronous. And that means you can talk to your provider in real time via video or telephone or, and that would be called synchronous, Asynchronous would be like you send them a message, a couple hours or days later, they respond to you. Um, That falls under the umbrella of telemedicine as well. Okay, full stop. (laughs) I'm at home. It was really hot today, um, and I just had to wait for things to cool off. Um, My children don't sound like children anymore. They sound like grown men. So if you hear what sounds like a bunch of dudes fighting or yelling at each other, that would just be my teenage sons playing 2K. <laughs> so thank you for understanding that. But telemedicine um, can be synchronous or asynchronous. So when would you want an asynchronous visit versus a synchronous visit? If you have a simple medication refill, that's a perfect thing to message, whether it's through your patient portal, whether it's through a messaging system of an app that your healthcare company uses, um, or whether it's calling and leaving a message. Hey, you know, just calling in, I need a refill on uh, my hydrochlorothiazide. I guess I probably could have picked an easier name. A refill on my list in April. How about that? And um, you know, you've got 10 days of medication left. You know that they're going to get to it in the next 10 days and refill it. Boom, boom, done. You don't have to schedule anything in particular. It just goes out, it's delivered, and it gets taken care of. That's asynchronous. Another thing um, that you might be able to do asynchronously is like request a letter, um, a letter for, time off work, a letter um, that you are more at a higher risk of an unfavorable outcome from, you know, should you contract COVID-19. Um, I had a letter for somebody requesting to be excused from jury duty um, because they were high risk. So there, there's a bunch of different things that don't require a right now look and listen. And those are things that make perfect sense to do in an asynchronous telemedicine visit. A synchronous visit, on the other hand, um, is is something that's going to require some real time back and forth. Um, I ask all my patients, you know, that I see... um, You know, what's what brings you in or what's the reason for the visit? How long have you had the symptoms? Um, What's the location of the pain? What makes it better or worse? Um, Those sort of questions that really help us to come to some differential diagnoses, those are better served in a synchronous visit. So like a video appointment or a real-time phone call. If it's something um, that requires us to look at a rash or a cut to see if it looks infected or you know anything that requires actual eyes on you're definitely going to want a video visit for Um, and if you're establishing care if it's just a routine follow up if you're checking in with like how your experience has been on a new medication anything that's going to require some back and forth is something that should probably be done in a synchronous, um, and I said asynchronous, and then I just said in a synchronous, but <laughs> in a synchronous visit. So those are those are some of the, the things that you could tease out. When would telemedicine not be appropriate? So I want to be clear, because um, do no harm is one of the things that we agree to and kind of vow to um, when we become nurses. And um, I don't want to make it seem like telemedicine is the be-all end-all and it's appropriate for every single thing. Uh, It's not. If you might think you have pneumonia, that's not something that they're going to be able to diagnose via telemedicine because that will require the provider to put their stethoscope To your chest, to your back, listen to your breath sounds and make the diagnosis. In fact, um, it could actually be dangerous if you have shortness of breath or uh, a symptom that requires someone to actually image your lungs like with a chest x-ray or listen with a stethoscope like it could be dangerous to try to whittle that down over a telemedicine appointment and and a good telemedicine provider is going to tell you that they're gonna they're gonna let you know or screen you beforehand to the appropriateness of um, using the, the telemedicine delivery for your problem Um, Anything that requires a physical examination pretty much is not something that you're going to want to do via telemedicine. That said, when was the last time you went into your provider's office and they did a physical examination? Think about that. When was the last time they listened to your heart and your lungs and pressed on your belly and, you know, moved your limbs around? It's not something that most medical visits actually require. Um, I work in a cardiology practice, so I listen to hearts all the time. I press on legs looking for edema. I listen to lungs, and I you know, estimate jugular venous distension. And those are things that I need to do physically, hands-on, with the patient in the office. Um, But in a primary care role, (laughs) when I wear that hat, uh, there's a ton of things like young adults who are considering different birth control options or uh, wanting to talk about depression or anxiety or um, just generally trying to establish care and figure out like, okay, how can I get a handle on what my right now health status is? Those are all things that we can Uh, do via telemedicine, and we can do them well, and in a much more convenient way for you, and in a safer way in the midst of, uh, the the COVID nineteen pandemic. So just think about, um, what your access to telemedicine might be. Do you have a nurse line, um, available? Do you have a patient portal available? Does your provider's office offer video visits? Um, And if they do, is it something that requires a full day off of work? I have had to cancel so many appointments because I thought I could leave the hospital in time to make it. Turns out I couldn't. But guess what? I could have made it to my car. I could have made it to a break room or another private area and would have loved to, (laughs) actually. So... With the bad comes something good, and telemedicine, in my opinion, is that good thing. One one of those good things. I I hope that you all have had other positive experiences, um, spending more time with your families, reading some books you've been putting off, um, studying things of interest. But the reality is, a lot of us. Um, our work has changed. The way we work has changed. The work we do has changed. And for a large amount of people, whether they're working or not has changed. And that's tough because if you lost your job during this pandemic, um, it's not just income, it's it's benefits, it's other things that are health promoting. Um, and you know, I've always, every time I've changed jobs, which has been twice (laughs) in a couple of decades, but they send you some COBRA thing like, Hey, you can keep your insurance, but it's going to cost you $1,500 a month. Well, um, that wasn't affordable when I was working full time. So there's certainly no way that I could afford to pay that kind of a bill, um, now. And, there are other ways to get uh, health care other than by being employed and insured. Um, there are low income and sliding scale clinics. If you've never visited freeclinics.com, I put it in the show notes every single episode because uh, at the end of the day, while I'm interested in all kinds of stuff, um, the purpose of this podcast is to increase health literacy, increase um, access to health care and people's understanding of, of how to access health care. Freeclinics.com, you search by state and then by county and you can find clinics in your area. Sometimes they're not free. Sometimes they are um, low cost or sliding scale. But hey, if you lost your job and you don't have any income, you're going to do okay on the sliding scale, you know? Um, One of the things that has frustrated me immensely over the course of my career is when people lose their insurance and can no longer get medication that they need to um, keep their blood pressure in check or their blood sugar in check or a mental health condition in check. It's just, it's so maddening, you guys, um, because it's like... We care about you as a person as long as you're producing. If you're working, great. If you're not, eh. And that's something that's always bothered me. Um, I actually just finished up a lecture for some nursing students all about considerations of care in the African-American patient and um It was one of those things where people can easily say, well, why do we have to do a whole talk on African-American? We treat all of our patients the same. But if you look at outcomes, guys, if you look at the health equity gap, everybody's not doing the same. Everybody's not coming out the same. Everyone's not finishing the same. And I want to actually stop and rattle off some stats um, that really kind of drive this point home. I, it's like I knew a lot of these things and we know these things um, in in theory, but we don't actually have numbers that back them. So I'm gonna read you some of those numbers just to kind of drive the point home of how, um, Outcomes in healthcare are not equitable um, racially. They're not racially equitable. In Maryland, African Americans are 84% more likely than whites to be diabetic, about 25% more likely to die from heart disease or stroke, nearly three times more likely to die from asthma, two and a half times more likely to die from prostate cancer, nearly 10 times more likely to contract HIV AIDS, and 15 times more likely to die from it. In Maryland, African American women are two and a half times more likely to die during pregnancy, twice as likely to die from cervical cancer, and 39% more likely to die from breast cancer. Notice I said to die from, to die from, not to get. Um, I'm sure you've heard the terms morbidity and mortality. Think of morbidity as incidence, how many people have it. Think of mortality as how many people die from it. Morbidity and mortality are measurements used to kinda assess who is most at risk for different diseases and what you heard were mortality rates for African Americans in Maryland. And that was from a paper called The Greatest Gap Health Inequity in Baltimore. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for that if you guys want to take a closer look at that. Why do I even bring something like that up when I'm talking about telemedicine? <laughs> well, a lot of those mortality rates have to do with late diagnosis. So preventative care is basically screening and assessing for conditions that if not diagnosed early can progress into something terminal. So let's talk about that breast cancer statistic because that was kind of wild, right? Why would African-American women in Maryland be 39% more likely to die from breast cancer. They're not talking about more likely to have breast cancer. They're talking about more likely to die from it. Well, that has to do with screening and early diagnosis. Um, It may also have to do with the ability to access chemotherapy and radiation. Um, So what can you do about screening? Well, you can establish care with a primary care provider and see them for your routine preventative um, visits. You know, if you have dimpling in your breast or redness or pain, um, rather than kind of ignore it or, or downplay it or kind of brush it off because you don't have insurance, you reach out to your primary care provider and say, I'm a little concerned about this symptom, and you all can discuss that and rule out or rule in breast cancer and get the help that you need. Now, I talked about people being jobless, people not having insurance, so how the heck do I expect people to have a primary care provider? I'm telling you guys, this is a different time. Many of us who have worked in the system for decades are branching out on our own. Many of us are working on the side. Some folks left the system altogether and um, have found ways to deliver care that are well with their soul. And telemedicine is one of those things. You can look for direct patient care, direct primary care in your area. Ask around friends and family. If you know somebody who's a nurse or a nurse practitioner or a doctor or a physician assistant, ask them. Say, hey, this is my situation. I need to see somebody just for routine checkup, but I don't know where to go. Your friends and family who work in the field are probably more than happy to get a question like that rather than a text with no warning of a picture of something that they're wanting you to help them out with. And in case you're wondering, no, I did not just make that up off the top of my head. (laughs) I could rattle off several examples, but I love y'all, so I won't. But what you could do, if you know somebody like myself, uh, just ask them, like, you know what? I need to find a primary care provider, but I don't have insurance, or I don't have... You know, um, a job right now, or I have high deductible insurance. What can I do? Um, They may be able to give you some insight there and even recommend you to a place that offers medical services for low income folks or on a sliding scale. So that kind of wraps up this whole talk. I wanted to talk to you guys about telemedicine and just how. Is really blown up over the pandemic and it's a way for us to deliver care as well as a way for you to access care. So check out the show notes for links where you can find more information about telemedicine, more information about health and equity, and some links that can help you access the care that you need in real time or via a messenger system. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, do me a favor, you guys. Go over to uh, Apple Podcasts and rate and review the Purple Stethoscope. You know why that's important? Because the more ratings and reviews that I have, the more searchable the podcast is. Like Dr. King, your girl has a dream. And that dream is to reach as many folks who need this information with this information. Uh, so head on over, rate, review, leave me a comment. You know, if you follow me on Instagram at D the NP, uh, leave me a comment if you listen to the episode, DM me with a question or two you'd like me to cover in an upcoming episode. I love interacting with you guys. I've got some really exciting topics coming up. Um, I've been doing some really fun fun things over the break, including getting my yoga teacher training certificate as well as my Reiki practitioner certificate. So all kinds of things to talk about because we're not just bodies, we're beings. And we have to take care of our whole person if we really want to access health and wellness. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, eat fresh and dance. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work.